Good morning once again, and a good morning to those of you who are uh, with us via live stream. Uh, good morning, good morning. Well, we're in Mark's gospel, but we're in a passage for which one commentator says there are only two like it in the entire gospel. There are only two passages in Mark's gospel, this commentator says, that are not about Jesus. Isn't that interesting? There's a passage uh, earlier in Mark chapter 1, uh, just, just a few verses, six, six verses, one, two, through eight. And then there's this passage right here, which is actually pretty lengthy. And this commentator says, these are only two passages that are not about Mark. Who are they about? They're about John the Baptist. And that's where we'll uh, be together uh, this morning. I want to let you know that we won't be in Mark's gospel uh, next week. Uh, next week, we will have with us uh, Dr. Rob Rayburn, who will be preaching from Paul's ministry in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Uh, so that's uh, next week. Little theologians, I see a few of you. I'm not sure how many are uh, on our live stream. But little theologians, I want you to draw for me a funny house. It's actually King Herod's house. King Herod had a house that had a great big living room on the top floor for lots of parties. And the bottom floor was a prison. He draw a house like that, prison on the bottom floor and a place for parties on the top floor. Our passage is from Mark chapter 6, and we'll begin at verse 14. But first, join me in prayer. Our Lord, we love the word that you have for us, and we ask that you would submit our hearts by your spirit that we might understand, that we might live. Jesus, please do this by your Holy Spirit this morning. Amen. So Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 14, if you look at it with me, please. The king Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. As some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when, Herod on his, uh, came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. 
And she went out and said to her mother, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came, she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her, and immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in, in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of our Lord. It's a weighty passage, isn't it? The passage begins with intrigue, and it, well, it ends with a man dying. And Mark is actually writing about an event that took place 30 years prior. So when Mark is writing, he's writing 30 years after this obscure event. Uh, Mark is in Rome and he's with Peter. Uh, His audience is uh, the larger church body, uh, most likely non-Jews. And this this, uh, gospel then would go out uh, to that uh, large uh, body of the world. And really what he's doing here, it it would be similar to me uh, telling you about a big event that happened in the early 1990s in Anchorage, Alaska. Most of you haven't been to Anchorage, Alaska. And the 1990s, what could possibly be uh, significant about that? The time and the location are actually removed from us. And so why do you think it is right here in verse uh, 14? that Mark is giving us a picture of an event from an obscure local ruler in an obscure part of the world some 30 years ago. I mean, Herod, he's not even a significant ruler. Technically, he's not even a king. And not long after this event that Mark records, both Herod and uh, his wife Herodias are actually exiled. So why this obscure event? event right here in this part of this gospel. Well, let me suggest that this uh, scene is about uh, three different themes that, that, that really need to come together somehow. That's the, the challenge of the preacher, I believe. The three themes are this. Uh, one of the themes in this passage about Herod and John the Baptist is the theme of the death of Jesus. John's death here prefigures that of Jesus. The same Herod will actually be there with Jesus during his final week on earth. So it's about the death of Jesus. But it's also about the nature of unbelief. How actually unbelief works Here, with Mark's vivid storytelling prowess, he gives us a look into the mind and heart of Herod. And so it's about the nature of unbelief. But there's a third thing. It's about the death of Jesus, about the nature of unbelief, but it's also about the life of being a disciple. More pointedly, it's about the life of preaching. This scene falls right between the preaching ministry of the disciples and then the report of what happened to the disciples during that preaching ministry. This, uh, this outline, this structure, it actually uh, falls this way in each of the Gospels. 
It's very deliberate. And so there you have these three themes, the death of Jesus, the nature of unbelief, and the life of the disciple. What's the passage about? I believe the passage is about, well, it's two Christians, and it's about helping Christians understand that a life that really matters as a follower of Jesus, a life that really matters is one in which the word of God is believed and preached, even if it means you die. That's the message that Mark has. That's why it's situated here. That's why he provides the details that he provides. Christians need to understand that a life that really matters is one in which the word of God is believed and preached, even if it means their death. And I divide the passage in two parts. The first part uh, being about how the, how the preaching exposes sin. The preaching the gospel actually exposes sin. And then the second part of the passage in the life of Herod is how the preaching of the gospel exposes pride. Preaching the gospel exposes sin, exposes pride. In verses uh, 14 through 20, uh, we're told immediately in verse 14, King Herod heard of it. You see that in verse 14, King Herod heard of it. Well, what's it? King Herod heard of it for Jesus' name had become known. And if you go uh, immediately back to verse 13 and 12, uh, you begin to see that, well, maybe what King Herod has heard of is he's heard of the preaching ministry of Jesus. He's heard Jesus preached before in some way. He heard of the ministry of the disciples, the preaching ministry. It may be that he's focusing upon that miraculous ministry of casting out demons and healing, but the name of Jesus is already known to Herod. And think about this as well. Uh, The name of Jesus was already known to those whom the disciples were sent. Jesus sends the disciples two by two, and he says, enter a house, and he says, do you remember? Either stay in the house or shake the dust from your feet. But as the disciples enter a house to stay or to shake, the owners most likely already knew about Jesus. That's true for Herod. He's heard of the preaching of Jesus. He's already been thinking about Jesus. And jump down to verse 20, and we're given a picture of how he's thinking about Jesus. Mark tells us that Herod is greatly perplexed, yet he heard John gladly. And that word for being perplexed, if we want to dive into the mind of Herod, Mark, I think, wants us to, that word for perplexed means that he is at a loss. He's heard of Jesus. He's heard of the preaching ministry of Jesus, things that are done in Jesus' name, but he's at a loss. There's there's a, a gap that he can't quite bridge. And I want to show us that Mark is leading us to see that that gap is his refusal to believe in Jesus for salvation. And where it starts is the gospel exposing something about Herod, and that's exposing his sin. We'll see it expose his pride later. But Herod's gap is about Jesus, and it has something to do with actions that Jesus is doing or actions the disciples are doing. And in Herod's own words in verse 16, imagine this. Mark has access to Herod's own words. This scene was talked about in the life of the church. In verse 16, uh, Herod says, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. You see, Herod, he's heard about this name, uh, Jesus, but he doesn't know who Jesus is. But look to where he, where he goes to try and bridge that gap of who Jesus is. He knows that some people think that he's John the Baptist resurrected. 
And he knows that some people think that he is Elijah resurrected. And he knows that some people think that he is a prophet of old. In Luke's gospel, uh, that would be a prophet of old who is resurrected. Now, you and I know that Herod, he's not that far off. Jesus is consistent with the past of the Old Testament. That Jesus' very life and his preaching, all the things that are done in his name, is actually consistent with God's work since the dawn of the cosmos. And Moses told us that in the first five books of the Old Testament. Uh, all of the Old Testament, though, feeds into Jesus. He is the one John the Baptist uh, points to. Uh, he is the great Elijah who is the forerunner of the day of the Lord. Uh, he is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, Herod, he's close, isn't he? And not only is Herod close... Herod seems to be closer even than the inhabitants of Nazareth, Jesus' own family whom he's preached to, and they've rejected him. Herod, he's not that far off. And not only that, look at verse 20. Uh, Herod uh, feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and a, a holy man, and he kept him safe. Herod's already thinking about Jesus. He's already connecting uh, John the Baptist to Jesus. He's very close, but there's still this perplexing gap. He's close, but he doesn't yet believe in Jesus for salvation. And we know what that's like. Some of us by personal experience, most of us, as we watch the gospel at work in the lives of uh, unbelievers around us, it's an intellectual ascent of some sort Herod has made, but it's not belief. And kind thoughts about Jesus, uh, elevating Jesus, thinking well of him will never save Herod. It will never save you either. And what is it that's troubling Herod before we move on to how the preaching exposes his pride? What's really troubling Herod is that very thing. It's the preaching. Mark's clear. Herod has heard about Jesus. And uh, Herod is pondering various hypotheses. Boy, I practice that word. <laughs> uh, Herod, he's pondered these various hypotheses. That's how it worked when I practiced it. But the preaching of John the Baptist is what's really troubling him. Um, here John is, and, and John is preaching the gospel to him. And part of that gospel is what? It's a rebuke for his incestuous marriage. I mean, really. John could have uh, also rebuked him for adultery. But what's really troubling here, and this is what I want us to see, is the preaching of the gospel. John is telling him about Jesus, telling him how Jesus is connected uh, to the entire story of redemption in the Bible and how Jesus is that a great uh, law keeper and how Herod is a great lawbreaker. John's life was all about telling people about Jesus, pointing to him. This is the gospel. John is all about preaching a gospel and this gospel will always entail preaching about human ethics. The gospel's always about human ethics. Herod, he claimed to be a Jew, and yet here he is breaking the law that Jews say God has given to them. 
that he and his half-brother's wife, Herodias, they were infatuated with each other. They were very deliberate. He divorced his wife for her, and she did something that was absolutely unthinkable. Herodias, she divorced her husband for him. This was a living, breathing scandal. And John, he isn't simply being courageous by calling out this sinfulness in Herod. Indeed, he's courageous, but it's not mere courage. It's what the preaching of the gospel does. The gospel actually exposes us as lawbreakers. The gospel tells us that we're no better off than Herod in the eyes of God. That we are uh, so uh, clouded by the curse of sin and its penalty that not only does it exude from us in our actions, but it's something that needs to be dealt with. What's really troubling Herod, what's really perplexing him, is the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, always being preached to him. And it is exposing the fact that he is a lawbreaker and he needs someone who is a law keeper. He needs atonement. He needs a sacrifice. His unrighteousness is in need of covering with righteousness. And this is what the gospel does. It exposes our sin and our need for redemption. But Mark, he goes on at verse 21, and he actually tells a bit more about the story. He, he uh, describes here how not only does the preaching expose uh, our uh, sin, our lawlessness, but preaching actually exposes something about us that we all possess, our pride fighting against that truth of the gospel. Mark uh, provides us details about a birthday party. You see that here. And it's one of, uh, of Herod's uh, dad's fortresses. And this event, it must have been uh, rather well known. Uh, in attendance, our verse 21 tells us nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. Uh, you know, this uh, particular uh, uh, palace fortress it would have required some travel so there's lots of preparation for this big event and in the room during the celebration there's lots of important people and lots and lots of egos and Herod's a stepdaughter who uh, we don't read this in the bible but Josephus says that her name is Salome uh, Herod's step stepdaughter Salome she dances and she pleases everyone and in this great jubilant moment uh, Herod almost as if he's uh, standing up and saying this boastfully though Mark doesn't tell us in verse 22 he says uh, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it to you and then he in the next verse vows to give her up to half his kingdom it's showmanship. That's what this is. It's boasting. It's pridefulness. He can't give away half his kingdom. He has a kingdom only because of Rome. He's not allowed to give half his kingdom away. What's happening here? He's making this intellectual allusion to the great king Xerxes, that great king of Persia who we read about in the Bible in the book of Esther. And he's, uh, he's connecting himself to that king's greatness. And the, the Bergagio, boy, it's another word, Bragadachio. I'm having one of these days. <laughs> Anyone else want to chime in? I mean, you just, you just picture the scene. The man, he seems to be standing up and he is just so vaunted. And, and Mark, this man of vivid details, he tells us all of this. And we have this great prideful moment, this pride that's a kind of self-divinity. I will give you anything you want. 
and his wife, she capitalizes upon this. You know, Herod, he's enthralled by John the Baptist. And, and it seems to be he's enthralled by this Jesus, but he's far more enthralled by himself. And that's you and I. He's enthralled by himself. He can uh, see the faces of his important guests. He wants to be respected by them. And even in verse 26, when we read that he was exceedingly sorry because of the oaths, we're also told that he was exceedingly sorry because of his guests. He had to save face, and he knew it. His pride demanded that he keep this vow. Actually, multiple vows, it seems. And in verse 27, we read, immediately... Immediately, the king sent uh, the executioner with orders to bring John's head. And John was killed in his own prison cell. Preaching exposes our sin, our need for a redeemer. But, but there's something that's, that, that goes viscerally deeper than that. The gospel tells us that not only has something got us in the jaws and we need to be rescued, the gospel tells us that we can't be our own rescuers, that all humankind is trapped under the curse of judgment. We're represented by Adam. We all need atonement. We can feel and sense Adam's curse coursing through our veins. It has to be dealt with, and you can't do it, and I can't do it. We need someone else, and our pride goes crazy, becomes uh, energized. To admit our sins means that we need to embrace a different savior than myself, a, a different king. My own crown becomes uh, limp and useless even though I still want to wear it. And this means then that preaching sometimes it just falls on deaf ears. Even if we can convince someone that they're lawbreakers, the gospel actually needs to go further before they're saved to convince them that they need a rescuer. And sometimes our preaching will lead to being unpopular. And sometimes our preaching will lead to marginalization and sometimes persecution. And what Mark is saying here is he's saying that this message that exposes sin and this message that exposes pride, sometimes that message will even lead to the kind of death where your body is buried in a different location than your head. This is what Mark tells disciples before he tells them the results of the preaching ministry just prior to this scene. How is this okay? How can we finish this passage right here? Well, listen carefully to this. This passage, it foreshadows the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that death and that resurrection is our very life. Because of that death and resurrection, you can lose your head and be buried apart from it. This passage also shows us how the human heart works not just Herod's heart, but how our heart works and our need for the, the daily mercy of God and the Holy Spirit. And this passage also makes us linger on the topic of preaching. It falls right between preaching and the results of preaching. What do you think Mark is saying to us? He's saying you don't have any other weapon or tool that the expansion of the kingdom, it happens by this manner, the preaching of the gospel. You have nothing else. 
And as the gospel exposes uh, law-breaking and as the gospel exposes pride, the gospel exposes our own hearts as preachers. This is what God has for us as we go out into the world. And Christians need to understand that a life that really and truly matters is one in, w- one in which the word of God is believed and shared, even if it means your death. And as hard as this is to hear, what else would you rather give to a waiting and watching world? What else? Would you join me in prayer, please? Father, we are praying for our own death. We're asking that you would enable us and equip us to go out into the world and proclaim the gospel. And if it means our, well, if it means unpopularity or marginalization or persecution, if it means death, would you enable us for your name's sake? Because that's a life that really matters. In Jesus' name, amen.